preach from the topic entitled Unexpected Grace. Mm-hmm. Unexpected gra- Grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for uh, your grace and, and your mercy. Lamentations tells us that every single morning your mercy is new um, and that you delight to show us mercy. And so we're grateful for that. Father, we are rocked by the fact that we can be accepted by you based on the righteousness and merits of Jesus Christ. Father, let us not take that for granted. Let that not become common to us. But Father, let every time we think about that, let that stir our affections for the living God and stir our affections for your son, Jesus Christ. Bless our time together today. I pray uh, that the word would convict all of us and encourage all of us. Pray that the believer would be strengthened and, and that the unbeliever would hear the gospel and and, and run and say, what must I do to be saved? Father, we pray that our time is fruitful. It's in your son's beautiful name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. I was recently on uh, usairways.com. I was, I was booking a flight from St. Louis to, uh, to New York. Now, there's two major international airports in New York. One is JFK, and the other one is LaGuardia. Now, now, LaGuardia, I, I don't know how much you know about the ranking of airports, but LaGuardia is, is, is dead last. It is the worst airport in the United States. In fact, Vice President Joe Biden, Biden called uh, LaGuardia Airport a third world country. Um, that's how bad LaGuardia Airport is. But I, I was interested, b- because my heart is so drawn to New York, I was interested to find out what LaGuardia meant or who was LaGuardia. I knew who JFK was, and so I wanted to find out some history of of LaGuardia. And so I looked and started to research, and I realized that it was originally named Glenn H. Curtis Airport. Then it was later changed to North Beach Airport. And then in 1953, it was named after the third-term mayor, Mayor Ferriola LaGuardia. Now, I was scratching my head saying, now, this is the first time I've ever even heard of this mayor, so how can you name an international airport after him? What did he do that was so great? And so I began to look through some of the history of what uh, this mayor LaGuardia did, and and I found out that he was loved by New Yorkers. I mean, he was adored by New Yorkers. In fact, they called him, his nickname in New York was the Little Flower because he was short. Now, now, as a grown man, I'm telling you, don't ever call me the Little Flower. But, but that's what they called him. They called him the little flower. They, it was an affectionate name that they gave to him. And so I said, man, what did he do to be loved like this? Well, as I was researching, I found out that he took entire orphanages to, to Major League Baseball games. When the New York newspapers would shut down and go on strike, he would go on the radio and read the comics to lift everyone's spirit in New York. And so he was a, he was a loved mayor of New York City. There was one story I read that really stuck out to me that I think ties into our text today. The one story was this. He used to go down to City Hall. This is a true story. He used to go down to City Hall, and he would dismiss the, the judge, and he would take the bench, and he would rule cases for the judge. Now, you can't do that today, but back then you could do that. And so he, as the mayor, would dismiss the, the judge, and he would take the cases. There was one case that was brought before him, and this one case was this old lady and this store owner. Now, the store owner was pressing charges on this lady because she stole a loaf of bread. So she stands before him, and, and Mayor LaGuardia says, why did you steal the bread? And she says, well, I have three 
grandsons that I'm caring for and they're home and they're starving, so I needed to take the bread. So she looks at the store owner, uh, so he looks at the store owner thinking he's going to be compassionate and drop the charges. The store owner says, well, Mayor, it's a, it's a bad neighborhood and we need to teach everybody a lesson by punishing this lady. So the mayor says, well, you're right. So he reaches in his pocket and he begins to pull out a $10 bill and he says to her, well, this is a true story, I'm not making this up. He says to her, he says, you can either serve 10 days in jail or you can pay the $10 fine. And as he's reaching his pocket, he pulls out $10 and gives it to her. As if that's not gracious enough, she takes it and gives it back to him and say, okay, I'll, I'll pay the fine. And then he looks at everybody in the courtroom and he says, and everybody that's in this courtroom is fined 50 cents for living in a neighborhood that an old woman has to steal bread to feed her grandchildren. Fines everybody. Everybody has to pay 50 cents. This is what the newspaper said the next day. The newspaper said this. New York City newspaper reported that $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren, 50 cents of that amount being contributed by the grocery store owner, while some 70 criminals, people with traffic violations, and New York City policemen, each of whom had just paid 50 cents for the privilege of doing so, gave the mayor a standing ovation. This is what the paper said. And this woman certainly received unexpected grace. That is what grace is. Grace doesn't only pay the debt. Grace gives us more than we could have ever imagined. And that is what this woman received. And so that is what the essence of grace is. It looks at our condition and it pays the debt and gives us more. And so that is where we are today in, in our passage. This person, Mephibosheth, is about to receive unexpected grace like this bewildered old woman. Now, just to give you context, David is now the king of Israel. Saul was the original king. He was actually a good king until he started to become jealous and uh, uh, he started to lose his mind. And so he started out as a good king and he had a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan in First Samuel chapter 18 says that Jonathan and David's souls were knitted together. There was a deep covenant, a deep friendship between Jonathan and the king David before he was king. Well, the Philistines come in and, and Israel is now at war with with, uh, with uh, the Philistines, the Philistines come in close and, and King Saul falls on his sword and kills himself. His servant does the same thing. But before that, Jonathan is slain by the Philistines. And so now David rises to the ranks of king and he does something great. Look at our passage today. There's some great observations about grace in here. The first observation I want to point out is this, that grace has been extended because of someone else. Think about this. Grace has been extended because of someone else. Look at what the first verse says. It says, and David said, is there still anyone in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Don't miss that. He has shown grace and kindness because of somebody else. Now, now you have to understand that when a, when a new king rose to the ranks, he wouldn't just kill the old king's son. He would kill the entire lineage. Because he didn't want a revolt. He didn't want a, a revolution to come against him and someone to take his throne. And so David looking from Mephibosheth should have been judgment. It should have been wrath. It should have been anger. Not to mention Saul was chasing David for so long that David could have taken all of his anger out on Mephibosheth, his grandson. 
but instead he shows him grace. But the interesting point is he does not show him grace based on anything that Mephibosheth has done. Mephibosheth hasn't done anything good here. He's lame at his feet. He hasn't done anything. But the grace and the kindness that David wants to show him is purely based on his love for Jonathan. Do you see the gospel implication there? God loves us in spite of anything we've done, purely based on his love and his covenant with his son, Jesus Christ. His son, Jesus Christ, is, is the only reason that we are accepted. Do you realize that Ezekiel chapter 18, verse number four says that the soul that sins shall surely die. We have rebelled against God. God looking for us should be pure wrath and judgment, but it's not. The believer now receives unexpected grace because of Jesus Christ. And so the same in the story, David is looking for Mephibosheth and he's going to give him grace and he's going to show him kindness because of Jonathan's sake. Look at the second thing I want to point out in this verse. It says, and David said, is there anyone? So he wasn't looking for somebody to meet a certain criteria. He, he wasn't looking for somebody that was perfect, that was handsome, that had perfect teeth and perfect skin and, and dressed well. He wasn't looking for any of that. He said, is there anyone? Like anyone, if as long as you were in the family of Saul, you were a candidate to receive unexpected grace. That is good news for the believer. Our, our right standing with God is based on nothing of our own, but purely based on his love for his son. Is there anyone in the house of Saul that I may show kindness to? I love the fact that he says anyone because he, he pulls off the, the, the need for us to perform. We don't have to perform. Grace has performed through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. I, I, was, I was looking at a, a movie called The Last Emperor. I don't know if you ever saw this. It's a movie that came out in 1987. It's about a three-year-old boy that rose to the ranks of, of emperor of China. Anybody ever seen that movie? He rose to one person, two people. I, I should have known Courtney Dunlap was going to watch this movie. So a three-year-old rises to the ranks of, of, of emperor, and um, something interesting happens. He has, he has eunuchs and he has servants everywhere. Three-year-old, his brother comes to him and says, what happens when you do something wrong? He says, that's easy. When I do something wrong, someone else is punished. And he, he wants to prove this to him, so he takes a jar and he smashes it on the ground, and his servant is beat. The beautiful thing in the gospel is that Jesus has reversed that. And so now we're not beat because of our sin, but Jesus was bruised for our iniquity. He was the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And that is what grace does. Grace exempts us from the wrath of God because it was already settled through Jesus Christ. So let's keep moving. Verse number two says, now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. Verse 3. And the king said, is there still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled at both feet. I, I love the fact, I just want to lift up the, the part that said, that said, uh, I, I want to show him, that I may show him the kindness of God. 
Now, this is interesting because if you read this story and just see a story about David and Mephibosheth, you've missed the story. David is showing the kindness of God. And so this is a story about how God is kind to his people. The interesting thing is when Ziba comes to the king, he never mentions Mephibosheth by name. Never. He presents him by his condition. He presents him. He says he's lame. He's crippled in both of his feet. Now, commentators will say that he was when Ziba said that he was trying to stop the king from showing grace. He was trying to stop the king from showing kindness. He's, he's laying at his feet. What do you want to do with him? That's what, that's what commentators were saying. And, and, and I was walking with my wife yesterday in, in Center City, and, and we were just talking about the goodness of the Lord. And I said, man, do you realize that, that Revelation chapter 12, verse number 10, calls Satan the accuser of brothers? He's the accuser. And then the verse goes so far as to say, day and night he accuses us before God. That is what's happening here. Can you imagine the, the enemy of our souls presenting our condition before God day and night? I'm so grateful that there is an advocate in Jesus Christ that every single time the enemy comes and wants to present your condition, Jesus says, I pay for that. What, what else? Oh, I took care of that too. What, oh, I took care of that too. That is the goodness that is found in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is it doesn't matter what condition you have, but you are accepted because of God. Mephibosheth is about to be accepted, and Ziba comes to the king and says he's crippled in his feet. He's lame, and he's still going to be accepted. But look at David's response. This tells us so much about grace. Look at David's response, verse number four. The king said to him, where is he? This is good news for all of us. Let's keep going. Where is he? And Ziba, Ziba, uh, Ziba the, said to the king, he is in the house of Makar, the son of Amior at Lodabar. Where is he? The, the, Ziba comes to the king and says, he has a condition. He's crippled in his feet. David doesn't ask, how bad is he crippled? He doesn't ask, when was he crippled? He doesn't even ask how he was crippled. He says, where is he? That is good news for all of us, that God looks beyond our sin. He looks beyond our, our dysfunction. He looks beyond the condition we are, we are in, and he simply says, where is he? Where is he? The first question in the Bible was, where are you? Where is he? I want to show him kindness. This is what grace does. It looks beyond our condition. And there's, there's, this also shows the, the sovereignty rule and reign of our God. Because please catch this, that David is looking for Mephibosheth. I knew I was going to mess that up somewhere in here, Mephibosheth. The king is looking for the crippled. The crippled is not looking for the king. Please catch that. The crippled is not looking for the king. God always saves. You have no part of salvation. The only part we have is the sin that we bring into it. But God is searching for us. He's searching for you. No matter what you've done, no matter, no matter the, the sin you've committed, God is saying, where is he? That is what David is showing here. You, you never see it reversed. You never see, you never see the mouse chasing the cat. The cat always chases the mouse. And is so with God. God chases us. You don't have it in you to chase God. You are totally depraved, 
outside of knowing Jesus Christ, we have nothing good in us. We do not have the capacity to search for God. But the king is searching for the cripple. Where is he is what David is saying. And that's Luke chapter 19, verse number 10, where Jesus says, the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. He didn't come to just save that which was lost. He came to seek us. He came to find us. Are you following along? Verse number four, the B part of it says, and Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Makar, the son of Amuel, at Lodabar. Now, this is interesting that he's hiding out. He's hiding not just from the Philistines, but he's hiding from David as well because he, he, he knows. So he really has, he, he has a double threat on his life. The Philistines were looking for him, and, and, so, was, uh, and so was David, or so he thought so was David. Now, how did he become crippled in his feet? The, the, the scripture will tell us that he became crippled in, in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse number 4, it says that when the Philistines were coming in, the nurse, his nurse took him at five years old. He was five years old since he's been crippled since five. The nurse takes him and flees, and in her haste, the boy falls, and he cripples both of his feet. And so now, now he's in Lodabar hiding. Now, Lodabar was considered a place of no pasture. It was an unfruitful place. It was not a place where, it, it was not a place of fruitfulness. It was, it was barren. So Mephibosheth is crippled in his feet. He's a part of a fa- fallen dynasty. He's living with someone, el- someone else. He's hiding out in Lodabar. Th- think about, put yourself in Mephibosheth's place. This is a perfect candidate for grace when you're there. When you're in a place of unfruitfulness, in a place of being barren. And that, the beautiful thing is, out of all this list, see, this is the, 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 the unbeliever thinks that he's too far off for God to save. That, that's what we think. We think that there's no way he could love me. There's no way he's going to search for me. I'm in Lodabar. I'm in a place of unbarren unfruitfulness. But even in that place, God's grace is able to save. That's why the scripture says, where sin increased, grace much more abounds. The grace of God goes beyond. You can't out grace. You can't out it. Verse number five says this. It says, the king sent him. Now, feel the tension. Before I read this, feel the tension in this verse. Think of where Mephibosheth is. Feel the tension here. The king said, the king David sent and brought, for, brought him from the house of Machar, the son of Amuel, at Lodabar. Verse six. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. Think about this. Now, since the age of five, he, all he would have known his entire life was to flee and run and hide. That's all he would have known. Can you imagine the day that the soldiers knocked on his door? Feel the tension here. Lodabar is th- over 3,000 miles away from Jerusalem. Imagine the ride from Lodabar to Jerusalem. And he's thinking, this king is going to kill me. I am the grandson of Saul. He certainly is probably threatened by me. And yet, he's riding along 3,000 miles. That's like California to, to, to New York. That's how, imagine, he didn't jump on a plane. Imagine this long, slow ride to Jerusalem from Lodabar, thinking to yourself, this king is going to kill me. I'm sure he felt like a cornered animal. 
I'm, I'm sure he felt like a, a wounded animal that, that was standing in front of a vicious lion that was hungry. That is what he would have felt going into the presence of this king. But look at, look at David's response. He says, Mephibosheth, with an exclamation point. Do, do you see that? Is it up here? Do you see that exclamation point? It's not here. Go to the next verse. Oh, it's there. There it is. Mephibosheth, exclamation point. This shows us that David wasn't, he was excited to see Mephibosheth. That's good news for us. And David's response tells us two things about grace. David's overzealous, excited response tells us two things. The first thing it tells us is that the believer does not have to be afraid of God's wrath. You don't have to be afraid of it. The believer will never, ever, 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 ever experience God's wrath. Never. It was, it was completely satisfied through Jesus Christ. And so imagine us standing before God and he's like, yo, put your name there, Brandon. I am now, I am now accepted with excitement because of Jesus Christ. It tells us that. The second thing it tells us is that grace means that you don't have to be afraid of your weakness or your dysfunction. Think about this. Mephibosheth still was crippled going before the king. But grace tells us we don't have to be afraid or scared because of our weakness. Do you realize this is how you know people, someone doesn't understand grace. You know that someone doesn't understand grace by how they respond to their own weakness. Do you try to hide your dysfunction and your weakness from others? Because that is a person that is not upfront and understanding what grace is. Because grace covers that. Now go and sin no more, but you can be honest with your, with your shortcomings. That's what community's for, for you to be known so that someone can say, ah, I noticed this about you. I noticed this pride issue about you. And grace doesn't try to defend it. Grace says, that is what it is. Now, I need prayer. Let's submit this, submit this to a bloody cross. That is what grace does. You don't have to be afraid of your weakness. Mephibosheth was crippled at his feet. No one rejoices over grace more than the person that knows that he deserves death. No one rejoices over grace more than that person. Mephibosheth is what David says. He's excited to see him. But look at, look at what else David says in verse 7. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you the kindness. That's how you know he was, he was fearful. David calms him. Do not fear, for I will show you the kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Do you see the response that Mephibosheth is now receiving? Do not fear. David's kindness and grace put to rest every single fear that Mephibosheth would have had. Can you imagine us, that the believer, standing before God and hearing the words, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of my son, Jesus Christ? Can you imagine that moment when you're standing before God? No, see, I think some of us think like, oh, man, I can, I, I'm going to be able to stand before God. Like, he, like what is, that's nothing to me. Like, we don't understand the, the massive holiness of God. He dwells in unapproachable lights. Like, he, you, can't, you can't even look at him. Like, think about it. That's how holy he is. I, I think we can agree that, that Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, had a, a way better relationship with the Lord than we do. Can, can we be honest? Like, there's a part in Isaiah where he stops the sun. Like, unless you've done that, 
You, he probably has a better relationship. But do you know in Isaiah 6, when the presence of the Lord fills in, Isaiah's response, although he has a great, Isaiah's response is, whoa, I am a man of unclean lips. This is the presence of our God, but we can stand before him based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And here, do not fear, I'm going to show you kindness for the sake of my son, Jesus. That's huge for us. And so the scripture now told us that David said, do not fear, I'm going to restore the land and you're going to eat at my table. This was costly. I'm going to restore the land, and we're going to, in the next few verses, we're going to see that it was massive land. I'm going to restore the land. This wasn't, I'm just going to give you a little bit of grace. Like, this was, I'm going to, I'm going to give you grace to where it cost me something. Do, do you see the gospel implication there? I'm going to get, this isn't what, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. This isn't cheap grace. This grace costs something. Like Jesus didn't send, he didn't send Gabriel. Like he sent his best. He sent his, not just his son, his one and only son. It cost him something. He's now about to restore land, a huge, and he didn't have to do this in order to keep his covenant with, with Jonathan. He could have let him live, or he could have put him on some type of royal welfare system. But he doesn't do that. He gives of himself. He gives a piece of his land and gives it to him. Look at verse 8. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for, the, for a dead dog such as I? Of course, Mephibosheth would have felt overwhelmed by this royal favor that he's receiving. Of course he would have felt overwhelmed. And, and that's how you know it's grace. You know it's grace when it sounds too easy to be true. You know it's grace when it's... I'll never forget when the, when the Lord ransomed my heart. I, I mean, when I tell you I grew up in church, I was in church all the time. I wasn't a believer, but I was in church all the time. I mean, I was extremely legalistic, extremely religious. Like, I, I, made, the, the the, the, I made the Pharisees look like, that, like they were loose on the law. Like, that's how, that's how legalistic I was. And, and I'm walking, not, I didn't even get saved in church. I got saved in the parking lot of a church. A friend comes up to me in the parking lot and decides to share the gospel with me. And my response for two hours, no lie, two hours, my response was to argue with him and tell him that's too easy. It can't, that can't be it. it. It has to be the cross plus something. Like it has, and, and that's what I believe. I, I, didn't, I didn't discount the cross when I was an unbeliever. I said it was a cross plus something else. And he walked me through Acts 15 and Galatians 3. Now, Galatians 3 starts out by, by calling people fools. And that's exactly what my, my, one of my friends did. He, he called me a fool that I believed in something else other than the cross. And my argument was, man, that's too easy. That's too easy. That can't be it. But that is grace. Grace will make you scratch your head and say, that's it? I, I am accepted because of somebody else decided to go to a cross and die for me? That's it? But that is it. Imagine Mephibosheth hearing these words. Like, imagine Mephibosheth, like, you're going to restore land to me? You're, you're not, first of all, you're not going to kill me, and you're going to restore land to me. Oh, and I'm going to eat at your table as one of your sons forever forever. I'm going to eat at the king's table. 
Of course he felt overwhelmed, but look what he says. He says, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? A dog in David's day, I mean, that was the lowest of low. A dog was the most degrading thing that you could call anybody. That's the most, I mean, that's the most degrading thing that you could have called anybody. But, but, but Mephibosheth doesn't call himself, when he says, when he says dog, he, he's basically being humble under superior authority. But David doesn't just, I mean, Mephibosheth doesn't just call himself a dog. He calls himself a dead dog. Like, I'm lower than low. Like that, when you're, when you're, when you're confronted with grace, you should also be confronted with the wicked sin that's in, in your own heart. And that is what Mephibosheth was feeling. He felt lower than low, lesser, is that a word, lesser than less. He felt, he, was, he wasn't even hitting rock bottom, he was underneath rock bottom. That is how he saw himself, but David didn't see him like that. He saw himself, not even a dog, a dead dog. And yet David didn't see him like that. And so verses 6 through 8 records a conversation that we see with David and Mephibosheth. But now David's going to completely turn his attention to Ziba. Watch what he says, verses 9 through 11. And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belongs to Saul and all to his house I have given to your master's grandson. Verse 10. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Like that is, that is amazing. David now restores Mephibosheth's land. But this is interesting. Remember I said that it was a, a lot of land. How do I know it was a lot of land? It took 15 of Ziba's servants, uh, sons, and it took 20 of his servants plus himself, 36 people to till this land. Think about how costly this land was. Think about how massive this land was. 30, you don't do 36 people for a small people, for a portion of land. It was a huge portion of land that 36 people had to till the land. That is how great the land was. And, and, and that is what grace does. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says this. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty may become rich. Like Mephibosheth goes from hiding out in Lodabar to receiving royal estate that takes 36 people to till that land. That is, that is the, the power of grace. But let's keep going. Look at the B part of verse 11. The B part of verse 11 says, So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. He, he wasn't at the table like a, a, a guest. He wasn't at the table even as a servant. That would have been enough. He could have served the king's sons, and that would have been enough for Mephibosheth. But grace takes, us, takes him all the way to the table as one of the king's sons. That's the sweetness of grace. When God calls a sinner to be saved, he takes him from the impoverished, 
wickedness of this world and takes him to the king's table. That is the grace that's found. Romans 8.15 says, And you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, but we cry out, Abba, Father. We've received the adoption. We are sons of God. Mephibosheth is now counted as one of the king's sons. He's eating at the table always. Look at verse 12. Let's finish this up. I have six minutes. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. It reminds us again. Now he was lame at both feet. It's almost like the, the, it's almost like the writer wants you to know all this is happening. But let me remind you, he's lame at both feet. Do, do you see the power of grace? The, the, the beauty in this is four times in this chapter, four times we hear that, that Mephibosheth is going to eat at the king's table, and he has a, he has a spot there continuously. We see it in verse 7, we see it in verse 10, we see it in verse 11, and we see it in verse 13. Now, as I'm finishing up my my time, I I want us to think, who was at this table? Like, when I I hear that he's going to eat at the king's table, I want to know who's at that table. Think of who's at the table. Absalom's at the table. Now, I don't know how much you know about Absalom, but he was a handsome man. In fact, let me read 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 25 to you. It says, now in all of Israel, there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. Listen to this. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish on him. Absalom was beautiful. He was a handsome man. And he's sitting at the table. That Mephibosheth that's crippled is going to be sitting at. Who else is at that table? David's other sons was there. David's beautiful wives and David's beautiful daughters was there. Joab was there. Joab was the general. Joab would have been at this table. He was the general of David's army. Men of power, men of prestige, men of wealth would have been at this table. Can you imagine dinner time and all of these handsome generals and, and prestigious men are sitting at this table? Can you imagine hearing the sound of David's, uh, of Mephibosheth's uh, um, crutches clicking against the wall and his feet dragging. Imagine that. But the beautiful thing about this is when Mephibosheth gets to the table and sits down and the tablecloth goes across his lap, he looks like everybody else at the table. And that is the beauty in grace. The beauty in grace is that it, it not only gives you a seat at the table, but it makes you look like Absalom, which is perfect and spotless. It makes us look like Jesus. We are in the image of, when God looks at us on the day of judgment, he looks at us and says, perfect, spotless, holy. And think about yourself. You know you're not. You're the guy coming down the hall, clicking your crutches. You're the guy with lame feet that can't walk. And yet we're sitting at the table and we look like everybody else at the table. We look like Jesus Christ. We are in the image of Jesus Christ. And so some of you are, as I close, some of you are in Lodabar still. You, you, you just are. Some of you, you know that if God was to come back right now, you would not go home with him. You, you know that you have not put your faith in Jesus. And some of you are, are I would bank on, is, is running through a religious circle. You, you, you're doing the right stuff. You're coming to church. You're going to life group. 
You, you're doing all this stuff. You're reading your Bible. You get up at 6 a.m. prayer. You got your, your John 3.16 shirt on. You're doing all the right stuff. But some of you, God is saying, where is he? Some of you are still in Lodabar. And, and, and some of you don't even look at yourself as, as Mephibosheth said, I'm a dead dog. Some of you think like you're, you're a good dog, like you're, you're Lassie or, or you're a golden retriever. But Mephibosheth said, I'm a dead dog. Think about how humbling that must have been. This was somebody, Mephibosheth, if everything would have been, been, been worked out for him, he would have been the king. But Mephibosheth was crippled in his feet, hiding out in Lodabar. I, I, as, I, as I'm ending, that I was flipping through, through um, I was going to say Instagram, but Facebook, and, and I'm looking at a video on Facebook, and it's this video. How many of you have seen the video with the lady that, uh, that cleans the houses, and she comes to a house? Anybody? Okay, some people are shaking their head. So a, a lady is, it, she, she's a house cleaner, and so she thinks that she's going to clean this house. That's what she thinks. So she, so she goes to this house, and she's greeted by a lady that she thinks owns the house. And she says, oh, c- come in. I, I want you to taste some food, though, bef- before you start to clean. Can you eat some food? And so she sits down at a table, and, and like a, a high restaurant quality chef comes out, and he's bringing food. I mean, good ra- five-star restaurant quality food he's bringing to this lady that's supposed to be cleaning the house. And he's bringing her all this food, and then, and then he, the lady takes her upstairs and says, can you try these clothes on for me? Because I, I just wanted to see what, what the clothes look like. And so the lady's trying on, like, like Marc Jacob coats and, like, all, this n- all these nice clothes. And then a, a masseuse comes in, and she says, you know what, do me a favor. Just get a massage while, while I run in the kitchen. And so the, the cleaning lady sits down, and she's getting a massage. And then a guy comes to the door, knocks on the door, and he has keys for her. And he says, oh, this was all for you, and the house is yours as well. The cleaning lady receives the house. That is what the grace of God does for every single sinner. We, not, we go from cleaning the house to sitting at the king's table. And, and, I, and so I want to invite you. We can, we can start to transition if we want to get some music playing. I, I want to invite someone that does not know Jesus. Every head bowed. I want to invite somebody that maybe you're, 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 if you're honest, you know that you are in Lodabar. It's not like you, you're, you're oblivious to it. You know you're in Lodabar. I don't want you to be embarrassed. Mephibosheth was not embarrassed. He wasn't embarrassed. He's sitting at the king's table. And, and, and I, want, I want you to think to yourself, man, if I, if I walk out of here and the Lord comes back, Am I going to go home with him? Have I put my faith in Jesus Christ, realizing that Jesus Christ came to the earth, lived 33 years of perfection? As it said, Absalom was on the outer appearance, didn't have a blemish. Jesus lived and never had a blemish. He ne- the Bible says no deceit was in his mouth. He was perfect. He goes to a cross and trades his perfection. He literally gives us his perfection and takes on our sin. And the Bible says that it it pleased the father to crush the son. All of our sin and shame has been placed on Jesus and he has been brutally crushed for our sake. And we now stand before God 
based on the righteousness of Jesus. If you have not believed that message, I, I just want you to slip your hand in the air. Every head bow, just slip your hand in the air. We just simply want to pray for you. If you, if you have not put your faith completely in Jesus, today is a good time to do it. Don't let today pass and not put your faith in Jesus. Is there one? Is there one? Amen, there's a hand up. All heaven is rejoicing right now. Do you realize all heaven is rejoicing right now? Let's pray. Father, Father, I thank you that you have lavished grace on us. We are so Mephibosheth in this story. We're not David. We're not Ziba. We are, we are crippled. We are lame in our spirits. But you've invited us to sit at your table. 